Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. On today's episode, we got a lot of basketball news to discuss. Chet Holmgren, the number one recruit in the class of 2021. You may know him best for crossing over Steph Curry in his own camp. He commits to Gonzaga. LaMelo Ball set to return after fracturing his wrist somehow. I mean, it was deemed to be, as soon as it happened, it was deemed to be a season-ending injury. He was going to miss the rest of the time healing from it. It's been a month, pretty much. So he's going to be back already. Uh, That's pretty impressive, but we'll talk about what his return means for the Hornets. Uh, Steph Curry has been absolutely unstoppable uh, pretty much for the entirety of the season. He's the lone bright spot for the Warriors, a team that is really struggling. Uh, Durant out again, thigh contusion. Zion went goo-goo-gaga over New York. Should Julius Randle and Tom Thibodeau be considered for MVP and Coach of the Year? And then, after all of that, I have to vent out some frustrations with the New York Yankees because they are currently 5-10 and and have the worst record in the American League. Um, But first, before all of that, I am recording this at around 7 o'clock on Tuesday night, and uh, it just so happened that a couple hours ago, uh, or maybe even an hour ago, whatever, it doesn't really matter. Um, Derek Chauvin, uh, the police officer that was charged with killing George Floyd, was convicted on all counts. And uh, he so he will be brought to justice for the incident that occurred last May, almost a year ago. So good news on that front. Um, people rejoicing. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time. I only wanted to just bring it up, obviously, because it's it's big news just in the in the sphere of, you know, public knowledge. This was something that a lot of people were waiting on and a lot of people had their eyes on. Um, so had to be addressed. Also, considering the fact that I did a whole podcast talking about the George Floyd incident and uh, the riots and protests that went on after the fact. Um, So I just felt like I had to obviously acknowledge that before we get on with the rest of the podcast. So good news on that front. Um, Nancy Pelosi shouldn't be allowed to speak in public anymore. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just look up her public address of uh, her speech after the conviction was put through. Look at what look at the public speech she gave. It's it's. It's horrendous, man. It's it's really, 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 really bad. And I know we don't talk about politics and stuff, but she is someone that is like, should not be like speaking in public anymore, man. She, that was, I mean, it was horrible. It, it was really just like, and I, I don't know if she wrote it herself. She had someone write it for her. Like, I honestly don't know. But either way, like, <laughs> it, 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 it was terrible. Just go look it up if you don't know what I'm talking about or you haven't seen it. So let's get into the uh, the happy stuff now. First being, quick bit, Chet Holmgren. He's the number one overall recruit in this uh, high school recruiting class on ESPN's Top 100. He has committed to play uh, at Gonzaga this upcoming year. 
And this makes Gonzaga the first team to reach a national title game and then add the number one overall recruit the following season. The last time this happened was with Kentucky. Uh, they won it all with, I think that was Anthony Davis's team, right? They won it all and then added Nerlens Noel the next year, who was the number one recruit in his high school class. So Gonzaga wasn't able to get it done this year with Jalen Suggs. Um, Suggs declares for the draft, who Suggs, by the way, wasn't the number one overall pick. I mean, uh, the number one overall recruit, but he, I'm pretty sure he was a top five recruit. Um, minimum top 10, but I'm pretty sure he was top five. So he was obviously a, a super high recruit coming into this year and he balled out, you know, so that was, uh, awesome to see. And now they get Chet Holmgren, who is such a weirdo, man. He's like seven foot one, a hundred and like ninety pounds, super super skinny kid. Um, but he's got like good handles. He can move around. I really have. I gotta be honest. Like I have no idea how his game is gonna translate to the college, even the college level. Uh, yes, I know he's the number one recruit. Uh, but when you're like seven foot one and have pretty good handles for, you know, being seven foot one in high school, like that's, that's like chopped liver, you know, (laughs) like no one's really going to be able to, to stand up to that in high school. But when he's going up against other, other big men and other, other top recruits and other guys who have either even college basketball experience, like someone like Kofi Coburn, like, I I mean, he's going to be in the NBA, I think next year, because he's, I'm pretty sure he's a senior, his eligibility is done. Uh, but, like, I couldn't imagine someone like Chet Holmgren going against Kofi Coburn. Like, he he's, he's like, 7, right? He's, like, 7'1", but he's, like, 260, 270 pounds. He's enormous. So, I, I don't know how some, like, anyone who has any other big man that has, like, a, like muscle onto them, I feel like, like I wouldn't, I don't know how Holmgren's going to stack up to them, but... He definitely has a very unique skill set, and uh, I'm very much looking forward to seeing what he contributes to Gonzaga in the next season. So, as I said, I'm recording this on Tuesday night, um, and the Hornets are set to tip off against the Knicks soon, and LaMelo is coming back, but he is scheduled to fully resume basketball activities and should be making his return back to the court fairly soon, which is unbelievable, really, because a month ago, when LaMelo Ball reportedly broke his wrist, I think it was a month ago, maybe a little bit more than a month ago now, in March, early March, LaMelo broke his wrist and it was automatically deemed a season-ending injury. He wasn't going to be able to come back and... That was it. And I kind of wrote the Hornets off. Uh, credit to them. Without LaMelo, they've hung around. They're, the I think, the eighth seed right now. And, of course, we have that stupid play-in tournament between, I think, it's seven to the tenth seed. Have a play-in tournament. So, 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 so dumb. Whole nother story that I'll probably save for a later rant, maybe when the the playing tournament actually starts. I'll give my thoughts on it because I hate it. I I just hate the idea of it. Uh, make I mean I understand it was it was fun last year in the bubble, 
and you know the Suns went eight and zero and they made a run at the playoffs and everyone was like, wait a second, like this could be a good idea. Why don't we have like maybe a team like the Suns that happens every year where they can rattle off eight straight wins and almost make it, right? It, it, it's so so dumb. Um, everyone so far, uh, the people I've heard really be adamant about it are the Mavericks. Luka Doncic has been vocal about how he thinks it's dumb. Mark Cuban said now he's like, in hindsight, really bad move. We shouldn't have done it. Um, I mean, I agree with them. I think it's it's a really stupid move. I get that the season was 10, 10 uh, games shorter. So I guess maybe you're trying to compensate for that. But at the same time, because it's 10 games shorter, all these dudes are playing way more games in a, in a shorter amount of time. You have more back-to-backs than any other season's ever had. And now on top of it, these bottom-tier teams have to go through an entire play-in tournament to get into the playoffs and then go and play a top-seeded team? How does that benefit like any type any type of upset? You're pretty much setting it up so it's like, okay, these bottom, these bottom seeds play teams that probably don't even deserve to be in the playoffs. The ninth and tenth seeds, uh, because in any other season they wouldn't be any other season besides last season they wouldn't be in the playoffs. So not only do they not deserve into the playoffs, but you have them playing teams that made it normally, and then they have to exert energy playing these scrub teams with not only the chance of being upset, but the fact that even if they win. You have to now go and play the first and second seed in the playoffs. How is how does that ben, how is that like equal playing field for anyone? It, it is so 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 dumb. But I digress. Uh, the Hornets hung around, uh, and I've been saying for the past couple of weeks the standings in the East are all very 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 tight from like the fourth to the 8th seed, and even like the ninth and 10th seeds pretty close as well. Uh, right now, the Knicks, I believe, have the 6th seed, so they're not in jeopardy of having to do that stupid playing tournament. Um, and they're only, I believe, a half game out of the 4th seed. The Celtics and the Hawks, I think, are in front of them. So, credit to the Hornets for sticking around, because uh, now you're going to get LaMelo back, and if LaMelo comes back... And just continues to play how he was, which I don't imagine. I can't imagine he he wouldn't because it was just a broken bone, and like it's not a serious injury. Um, if he comes back and just continues to play well to the end of the season, he'll he'll probably still win Rookie of the Year. There there's no if he comes back and plays the end of the season, and the Hornets make the playoffs, there is no reason why Lamelo Ball shouldn't win Rookie of the Year even after missing like a month of the season. It doesn't matter because Anthony Dave, Anthony Edwards hasn't been nearly as good as LaMelo. And if LaMelo carries his team, who the Hornets obviously were dog water, they sucked, and so did the Timberwolves, but the Timberwolves still stink. Like there, there's no reason why LaMelo shouldn't win Rookie of the Year. And I mentioned that the Hornets are playing the Knicks tonight the Knicks have some serious, I mean, they are they are making some serious noise, man. And, you know, they're not like blowing teams out of the water. I think they're like 32 and 27 or something like that. Um, they're playing really, really good basketball. RJ Barrett 
was going crazy like the other week too. He was hitting clutch shot at the clutch shot. Julius Randle had, I think, uh, like three 30-point games in a row. He's been scoring like a madman. So that leads me to believe now, because I've been hearing conversations on New York radio and on television. Where do Randall and Tom Thibodeau, Fibs, where do they stack up in the in the coach of the year and MVP discussion? I think Tom Thibodeau might have a better chance of winning coach of the year than Julius Randall does winning MVP. But I think Randall should have, he he'll he I can't imagine he's not going to get MVP votes. He has to. He has to. The, the, the way he's been playing this year has been absolutely unbelievable. And to this point, by the way, I'm not even sure who MVP is. Is it still Embiid because he came back and he's still playing at a high level? Is it Embiid? Is it Jokic? Does Giannis win a third one? Because he, he's, he, I mean, I understand he's won two. And because of that, people kind of already tossed him out of the discussion for winning the MVP again. But like... The Bucks are still a good team. They're like the first or second seed. Or actually, no, I, uh, I believe they are the third seed right now um, because the Nets and the Sixers are the first seed. So, I mean, Giannis, his team's still really, really good. He's still putting up, obviously, gaudy numbers. Uh, he could definitely be in the discussion. But after that, I mean, I kind of... I, I don't know. I mean, those... Three guys could be the top of, I mean, Paul George, maybe? Paul George could, Paul George has been lighting it up for the Clippers. And I know a lot of people clown him because, you know, for the past, like, four years, he's come up very, very short in the playoffs and just has not, no matter how good of a regular season he has, he just can't seem to translate that to the playoffs for whatever reason but he has been I mean he's close to like a 50 40 90 year this year right now um he's he's been playing out of his mind like he has really been the go-to guy for the Clippers this year so he might get MVP discussion but Julius Randle like he could I wouldn't be surprised if he snuck his way into that conversation not even saying He's going to get, like, second or third place. I don't think he's going to win it, first of all. I don't even think... He, he might not even come into second and third place, but if his name's just being thrown around, like, that's an honor in itself. This guy is someone who kind of had his struggles um, kind of putting it together in the NBA. And he came to the Knicks. Last year, the Knicks were a mess. But this year, he's more efficient. He's more reliable. He can shoot the three more consistently, has a great mid-range game, post-game, interior game. He's playing decent defense. Uh, and he actually attributed a lot of that to Kobe Bryant, where his time on the Lakers, Kobe would fly into any city. He would go to a gym and get up shots before going to the team hotel. And this is a story that Mike Breen relayed on a Knicks broadcast that Randall told, I think, either him or reporters. And Randall had started implementing that starting, I think, last year. Um, and it, it's paid dividends, man. He has put in a lot of work, and he got voted to be an all-star by the coaches this year, so they recognized him for that. 
the Knicks are in a position to make the playoffs. R.J. Barrett has made huge strides. Like, they are just flat-out, point-blank, a fun team to watch. They play, not to mention, on top of all of that, these guys hitting big shots in big moments. On top of all of that, they play good defense. They play good, hard defense, and that's because of their head coach, Tom Thibodeau. And I I ragged on him, man. I, I did not think Tibbs was the right hire for this team. I did not. I did not think it. But here we are, 50-something games into the season, right? There's, I think there's only there's less maybe than 20 games left. So here we are, and the Knicks are the sixth seed, could climb higher, and be in the playoffs for the first time since, what, 2014, 2015, whatever it is. I don't even remember the last time they were in the playoffs. It was with Melo. 2013, maybe? Like, this, this is a big deal and because they're good Knicks basketball they I mean Knicks the Knicks run New York I don't want to hear shit about it okay I don't care how good the Nets are I don't care that they have KD I don't care that they have Harden I don't care that they have Kyrie Irving I do not care that they're the second seed in the Eastern Conference it does not matter and you do you know why because New York has been and always will be a basketball town and the Knicks are the Knicks. They play in Madison Square Garden, the most famous arena in the world. The Nets, no matter how good they are, it doesn't matter because they will never be the most popular team in New York. Yes, people might get pissed at the Knicks. They might even stop watching or listening to the Knicks because they're so bad. And God knows that that's definitely happened over the past handful of years, over the past 20 years. Jesus, like it's been a long time. But when they are good, the town is buzzing. It is undeniable that New York is a rocking place when the New York Knicks are good. Undeniable. And if you're if you're from even the New York area, Long Island, Westchester, whatever, obviously New York City, if you're anywhere in the vicinity of Madison Square Garden, you know that New York is a better place when the Knicks are good. It doesn't matter how good the Nets are. It will never matter how good the Nets are because they do not bring New York to its feet like the New York Knicks. And you know who else happens to agree with me? Zion Williamson. Zion Williamson got all nice and cute when someone asked him what it was like playing at Madison Square Garden. Big old stupid smile on his face, grinning ear to ear, talking about how he loves playing MSG, he loves the fans there, their energy, whether they're cheering you or booing you, it's electric, it's such a nice stadium to play in, uh, he loves the city, like, it, all just raving reviews from Zion Williamson about uh, Madison Square Garden and New York City, raving reviews, and... This dude, like, could not contain himself, and he's, he caught himself a little bit, and he was like, yeah, besides, you know, besides New Orleans, besides New Orleans, this is definitely my, fa- my favorite place to play, besides New Orleans. Uh, all right, dude, yep, way, way, to, way to save face a little bit, but in no way, shape, or form should any Nick fan, or even the Pelicans, for that matter, Pelicans fans out there, if, if you happen to be one listening to this podcast, uh, there's, there's no reason to dig any deeper than this is a kid who was playing under the bright lights of MSG for the first time in the NBA. There's there's just there's there's nothing more to it than that. 
you know, playing in front of fans too, albeit probably only a couple thousand. Um, but it, th there's nothing like, oh, that means, you know, as soon as Zion's eligible to go play for the Knicks, he's going to leave New Orleans and go like, no, could it happen in like six years, maybe <laughs> like when he's, you know, 25, 26 years old and is an unrestricted free agent, like some LeBron type shit, just leave New Orleans and come to New York. Sure. Maybe, but no one, I don't think any Nick fan ever expects any big name free agent to no doubt sign with the Knicks. The only people who make this shit up is the media. And you saw it in the, the Kyrie, Kevin Durant sweepstakes all year. All I saw, I literally saw a photoshopped picture from like the ESPN Twitter account with a picture of Zion Williamson, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant in Knicks uniforms saying this time next year the Knicks roster could look a lot different with like the the emoji with the finger and like the the monocle looking upwards like the curious the curious emoji hmm right like this no Nick fan ever like that is something that I don't think many Nick fans wrote in stone and they're like we're getting Kyrie we're getting Kevin Durant and then we're gonna get the number one pick and get Zion like no that is just not how things have shaped out for the Knicks over the past 20 something years it's just not it's just not the last time they got the number one overall pick was in like the 80s with Patrick Ewing so what made you think this was gonna happen anyway especially when they've gotten a lottery pick all these past years they don't get the third pick. This third pick that they took RJ Barrett with was the highest pick they gotten in years. They could never get past like seven. So the whole Zion to New York thing, pump the brakes on that. I really don't think it's that big of a deal. Uh, but it was nice to to hear Zion go goo goo gaga over New York. As for the other New York team that I was saying will never run New York because I'm right, uh, Kevin Durant left the game the other night with a thigh contusion, so he comes back after not playing for like a couple months, however long it was. Some feel, felt like forever. It, it felt like he didn't even play this season like at any point. Uh, leaves the game with a thigh contusion. This leads me to say, what is good with Kevin Durant's health? Sure, is it time to worry? Because the guy can't stay on a basketball court. And now James Harden also is out indefinitely because he experienced a setback in an on-court rehab session on Monday. So Harden's hurt. Kevin Durant's hurt. Like, I understand they're still good and they're going to make the playoffs and all that. And But when, when these guys come back, everyone's talking about chemistry, chemistry, chemistry. It's not about chemistry. I don't think that's the issue here. They're all so immensely talented. I really don't think that's going to matter that much. What concerns me is, are they going to be able to stay healthy throughout the course of an entire playoff run? Because, I mean, Kevin Durant can't stay on the court. And now Harden's hurt. He's got this injury. Setbacks are never good. So you think even with this setback, he comes back. There's a, a higher risk that he gets injured, re-injured again. Like... None of this is good for them. Um, so I know they're all, all these Nets fans are probably living in like la-la land because they have three of the top like 10 players in the NBA. 
but there, there has to be a little cause for concern here because you're not going to just walk past the Sixers and the Bucks. And I'm only counting those teams because those are the top three teams by far and away in the East. Everyone else is like within a half game of each other, but they're all collectively within like three or four games back of the Bucks. So it's definitely makes you think twice about the Nets' chances of making a deep playoff run, all especially even going all the way to the finals. And I do want to mention this about Durant. I'm not gonna. I really don't think it's a big deal. Uh, he was on a podcast, and he was talking about. I think it was a million dollars worth of game. But he was talking about his top five teammates. They asked him his top five teammates, and he says Kyrie, James Harden, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and then there was a long pause, and he said Sergi Baca. <laughs> and they asked him, they're like, oh, what about Russell Westbrook? And he said, uh, yeah, he said, I thought somebody else, Wallow said. I forgot somebody, Durant replied. Yeah, uh, who? South Central LA, Russell. And Durant said, oh, shit, damn, I am tripping. Russ, yeah, I'm tripping. Yeah, I did forget about Russ. Russ was definitely would be definitely be in my top five. I'm glad you called me out on that. As a matter of fact, I will put Russ fourth and Clay fifth. So I guess he was ranking them when he said, uh, in, he was ranking them in order when he said Kyrie, James Harden, Steph, and then I guess Russell Westbrook and Clay Thompson. I really don't think it's that big of a deal. Do I think it was intentional that he left out Russell Westbrook? I I don't think so. He he walks it back after they called him out and said, you know, I thought you would say Russ, and he was like, oh shit, yeah, like I forgot Russell Westbrook. That's my bad. I don't know how you forget Russell Westbrook when you're thinking of like your all-time teammates, but apparently he did. So I'm going to give Durant the benefit of the doubt there. Um, But another interesting thing that I thought he said was he was talking about his time in Golden State and he was like, you know, none of these guys weren't my boys. You know, he didn't, he wasn't hanging out with Steph and Clay and, or like Draymond. They weren't going out together you know, kicking it, blah, 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 whatever. Uh, he said it was like work, you know, like he, like they weren't my boys. I, I didn't like hang out with them a lot, you know, other than the, other than the the first initial time when he went there they, and they went to go recruit him, they were like hanging out and stuff. But other than that, he said they weren't really like tight, which I thought was really interesting. And I don't think anyone gave him backlash for that, but I thought it was just interesting that he was saying that kind of thing because I'm sure that's the that's like the the deal for a lot of players. Like they they go in, they play. Like these dudes are your coworkers, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be best friends with them after the fact, right? Because at the end of the day, it is a business. You don't know if you're gonna be there the next season or you're gonna leave in free agency. You're gonna get traded, whatever. You have no idea. Like, I know LeBron's click, obviously, is Banana Boat. He's got Mello, Chris Paul, Dwayne Wade. He hangs out with Russell Westbrook a lot. Um, So he's got, like, his click there, but you don't see him hanging around with, like, Kuzma. Like, I don't think he hangs around with Kyle Kuzma a whole lot. So it's it's just like a job at that point. And I thought it was really interesting that Durant was came out and, and said that because... 
Uh, I don't. I don't think a lot of people realize that it's it is a job. You don't have to be boys with your teammates. And quick shout out to Durant's third best teammate, as he described apparently, because he's not going to put his former teammates over his current teammates, of course. But Steph Curry has been like unbelievable this year. Uh, he has six games. With 10 plus threes this season. This season. And no other player has more than five in their entire careers. Steph Curry for the month of April. Minimum of 10 games. This is him in 10 games. 40.8 points per game. 7.23 pointers per game. He's shooting 55, 50, and 91. 55% from the field, 50% from three, and 91% from the line. He is on pace to join James Harden, Elgin Baylor, RIP, Kobe Bryant, RIP, who did it three times, and Will Chamberlain, RIP, who did it 11 times, as the only players in NBA history to average 40 points in a month. Minimum of 10 games. That's insane. What's more insane is the fact that, Will, I mean, Will Chamberlain did it 11 times, which is like, you look at almost every NBA record and like Will Chamberlain is on there multiple times over because that's just how dominant he was in the era he played in. Kobe doing it three times is unbelievable when you consider the fact that James Harden is the only other modern NBA player that's on that list and he only did it once. And now Curry, who is undoubtedly the greatest shooter of all time, it's not even a debate at this point, is now on pace to do it for his first time. And we got like 10 days left in April, 11 days, 30 or 31 days in April. 30 days in April. So we got 10 days left in April, and Curry is only, he's averaging 40.8 points per game. So that could easily dip, and he could, you know, not reach this mark. But as of right now, that's what he's on pace to get. Um, in 10 games. He could stop playing for the rest of April, honestly. Um, But Kobe doing it three times is obviously insane. And that's probably... What do you think? That's probably like the 06 Kobe? It was still number 8 Kobe. This I think he definitely a couple times did it when he was number 8 Kobe. Like uh, 81 points Kobe. That season, 06, I think it is, 07, probably got it uh, averaging 40 points. Like, God was a monster carrying his team. So, Steph Curry, man, just absolutely lighting it up. It's really, like, it's good to see him dominating so much because so many people forgot about him. Like, the season he was out, not playing that much. Like, he played in the beginning of the season and, like, that was it. People wrote him off, man. Not wrote him off, but, like, everyone started talking about, like, Damian Lillard being the best point guard in the NBA. And, like, no disrespect to Damian Lillard whatsoever. But Steph walked so you could run. And now Steph is in a full... He switched switched to walking. He said, screw that. I'm in a full-out sprint. And he's proving that, like, no one is really like him. We've seen Lillard hit, like, bomb shots, clutch shots, whatever, get on fire... But just, like, 
Steph Curry can, it feels like Curry can do it whenever he wants, and Lillard just gets into a zone. He just isn't, he doesn't seem to be on that same level as Steph. So it is, it is really awesome to see Steph continue to dominate. Uh, whether his team's winning games, like, honestly, it's not entirely his fault if they lose games that he, like, plays really well in. Um, because no one else can score. <laughs> Who say who's taking the second most shots on the Warriors? Andrew Wiggins, Kelly Oubre. Like, come on, bro. When Steph come, I mean, uh, when Clay comes back, the Warriors are gonna they're gonna come back to the forefront of everyone's minds. All right, now for the bad news. The Yankees are five and ten, and the worst team in the American League. Jay Bruce retired. Thank God and good riddance. Holy shit. There is like there's no reason why Jay Bruce should have been like in the starting lineup of the Yankees. I told my friends in the beginning of the year when we signed him, I was like, if Jay Bruce is ever in the starting lineup for the New York Yankees, that's how you know something went horribly wrong. And I was right. Because when he was in the lineup, you know what that meant? Luke Voigt hurt his knee. Missing the beginning of the season. And now the Yankees are 5-10. and 10. It is really bad. Like, really, really, really bad. There, There's defensive errors, base running errors. There's absolutely no aggression at the plate at all. Fail to convert with runners in scoring position. The pitching behind Garrett Cole has not been very reliable. The starting pitching... Has not been very reliable other than Garrett Cole. So it is just like a whole slew of problems for the Yankees. And I'm not going to sit here and say Aaron Boone should be fired, blah, 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 blah. No, obviously, I don't think that's the right solution. Should Marcus Timms be fired? I would start there. <laughs> I would I would start there. Uh, he's the hitting coach. And the fact that the Yankees continue to struggle, even dating back to last year, with runners in scoring position, uh, I, I think that kind of falls squarely on Tim's shoulders. He's got to fix something. They they all got to change their approach. Like, I, I don't know, man. It, it's just clearly something, what they have right now going on, is not working. The starting pitching has to be more reliable. And Michael Kay, who is... The voice, the uh, the TV voice of the New York Yankees, the play-by-play guy, also has a radio show. On his radio show, grilled the Yankees. Grilled them about using an opener against Tampa Bay. I have been so against the opener for so long. The Rays made it a thing. And Michael Kay goes on for this entire argument. This is his pretty much exact words are, the Rays do it. Because they don't have enough starting pitching depth. You're the New York Yankees. You have the most money in all of baseball. You go out and sign all these guys. You got prospects out the ass. Like, bring up Michael King. Bring up Davey Garcia. Give these guys opportunities to be starting pitchers. There is no reason why the New York Yankees should be throwing an opener out there against the Tampa Bay Rays. There's You don't see the Mets doing it. You don't see the like the Dodgers doing it. You don't see these teams who have 
big markets, big payrolls, like loyal fans competing. Like the Yankees are a championship aspiring team. You cannot be throwing out openers. I don't care if it works for Tampa Bay. That's Tampa Bay. Kevin Cash has got his own fucking world he's living in over there. They got their own thing with absolutely no money. So this is what they got to do. Fine. That is what they have to do. Don't try to outsmart Tampa Bay. Beat them with what you're good at. And the Yankees just like are not getting it, man. They just like it's just not fucking happening right now. Everything that could possibly go wrong with the Yankees is going wrong. No one is playing particularly well. The starting pitching's unreliable. Like I, I, I listed off everything, man. Like they're just, they're just not a good baseball team right now. They are not a functioning baseball team, let alone a playoff team. They're, they're not good. And not even that. Not, not just that. Not just that. They are so boring to watch. I have been a Yankees fan all my life. I watched season after season after season. Players getting upturned, turned around, like traded, free agent signings, rosters getting flipped around. Like, I remember Brian Roberts, right? Remember when the Yankees had Brian Roberts? So, like, a weird time, man. There have been plugins constantly. Especially from, like, slightly pre-Jeter retirement, like 2013 to 2017, or even maybe even 2012 to 2017, right? Like, they were good, you know, plus 500, but they weren't a championship caliber team. Everyone was getting old. Jeter was getting old. He retired. A-Rod got old. He retired. Teixeira, Sabathia, like these guys that were there in the 09 team were getting old. But even when the Yankees were going through that rebuilding stage, they were still winning baseball games. Like I said, plus 500. They were still winning like 80 plus games a year. They weren't making the playoffs, which sucked. But they were still competing and they were still winning a majority of their games. They weren't the bottom of the barrel. But this team, man... This team that is currently out there, I don't know if it's because it feels like it's been the same roster for the past three years, three or four years with no significant changes other than Garrett Cole, which don't get me wrong. I love the fact that we still, that we have Garrett Cole. I love it. You know, he, he gives me hope, but this is essentially the same exact team that you've been running out there for the past couple years. Minus like Didi Gregorius got subbed in there. At one point, right? And so did LeMayhew. And, but for, for the most part, you got that core. Judge, Gardner, Hicks, Sanchez. And then now you had Gregorius and La Torres, Urshela, Voight. And now it's uh, LeMayhew and Torres. And it, it's, for the most part, most of that core has been the same. And I've enjoyed watching them tremendously over the past few years. But right now, it is like pulling teeth watching this team play baseball. They have what seems like no fire underneath them whatsoever. And it just, it it looks, they're, they're lifeless. It looks like they're lifeless out there. Not to mention 
Michael K., I've always had your back, buddy, but good Lord. Like, the broadcasts for the Yankees game, Yankee games, have been horrendous. I mean, like, constant dead air, no talk, nothing. Like, this is why I would rather watch a Yankee game on mute with the Met game on the side listening to Gary, Keith, and Ron because they're super, super fun to listen to, energetic, have great banter, know how to break down the game. And they're fantastic. I'm not saying the Yankee guys don't know how to break down the game. Like, David Cohn, obviously, is great. Uh, Paul O'Neill is great. Like, they know what they're talking about. But it just, they're, they're boring. Everything about the Yankees right now is boring. And one of the, the biggest problems with all of that is Aaron Boone isn't the guy to light the fire underneath the Yankees' asses. Brian Cashman came out the other, uh, a couple days ago and said, there's, you know, he's not panicking. Boone's not panicking. The Yankees aren't panicking. We're 15 games into the season. There's no reason why you should start burning everything down and tossing your hands up in the air and say, well, it's over. We'll get him. We'll get him next year. There's no reason for that. And I understand. I understand that. Um, and I'm a part of me is fully on board with it. But the other part of me is watching these guys play every night and they just like they don't have it. They just don't have it. Aaron Judge, I'll give him... Aaron Judge has been playing pretty well. You know, he, he, he's he been inconsistent, but, like, he's, he's been one of the few brighter spots in that lineup. But, I mean, uh, as a whole, it's just... It hasn't seemed like they have any sense of urgency or competitive fire underneath them right now. And Cashman came out and said, we're not worried Boone isn't the guy that's going to light a fire under your ass. So I'm just wondering where that spark comes from. Do they even need a spark? Is it just that they're going to, like, what is their plan? Are they just going to keep trotting out onto the field every night and just continue to play until inevitably something clicks and they all start getting hot at once and the starting pitching gets going and then they rattle off like a handful of wins in a row? Like, when, when does that happen? And at what point do you hit the panic button and say, well, listen, we tried not to panic, but these guys, nothing changed and we're still, everyone's still slumping at the same time. So like what happens? It's been incredibly frustrating. Um, and it's called into question. I mean, this 15 games into a season, I, I don't know if any other fan base would be panicking as much as the Yankees are right now or Yankees fan base are right now. People are definitely, like, losing their shit. Um, I want to make it clear. I still have all the hope in the world that the Yankees, or all the faith in the world, I should say, that the Yankees pull their shit together and end up on top of the AL East. A lot of baseball left. A lot of baseball left. But it's, it's the issues that are plaguing the Yankees right now that concern me. And it's been these issues that have plagued them for the past couple years. Not converting with runners in scoring position and starting pitching. These are, and now defense, you get throw three defense on top of that. They have not been a particularly good defensive team uh, in the past, in the first 15 games of this year. They haven't. So all of this is, are issues that are not only 
a problem right now, but they have plagued the Yankees in the past. And considering it's almost the same roster, this roster this year is identical to the one last year, with the exception of like Corey Kluber and Jameson Tyon. You know, Rodned, Rugned, God, I don't even care anymore, honestly. Odor is not the answer, obviously, at, at second base. Like, yes, Jay Bruce is gone, thank God, and I'd rather have DJ LeMayhew there at first base and Odor there at second every day. But, I mean, that's not a, a long-term solution. And honestly, at this point, I don't even know if Luke Voigt's going to be the long-term solution, you know? Like, first base has kind of been a rotating door and a question mark since Teixeira left because even in the playoffs last year or two years ago, um, Luke Voigt didn't, he didn't play in the playoffs. He was subbed out in favor of DJ LeMahieu at first base for defensive reasons. So all of this is cause for concern in my eyes. It really is. And I, I just... I have confidence that the Yankees will turn it around. I just don't know like what's going to spark what's going to spark that change. Is it going to be Boone? Is it going to be Cashman? Is it going to be someone on the Yankees, Judge Cole, freaking Brett Gardner, I don't know, someone on them to kind of light them up and be like, "Hey, we fucking suck right now. Can we get our shit together, please?" I have no idea where that's going to come from. As for the Mets, they've been playing great. Uh, they're, I'm pretty sure they're in first place as it stands right now in the NL East. Uh, DeGrom's been lights out, even though the Mets haven't capitalized on two of his starting pitching performances. Stroman, on the other hand, has been just as electric and has the has the wins to show for it. He's 3-0. Been absolutely dealing. He had a great highlight play in Colorado. Where he caught a ball behind his back. He's a gold glover, and he knows it. He's been talking his shit on the, not on the field. He's a, He has good sportsmanship, but, you know, he's got the swagger on the field. He's been coming at people's necks on Twitter who tweet out poo-poo takes, in his words. You can go to his Twitter and find that. He called someone, he's like, poo-poo take, sir. Poo-poo take. Love that. <laughs> he's a good follow on Twitter, man. He loves calling people out for their bullshit. Um, and he, he talked, he talked his game up this year, this off season, even before he signed with the Mets, he talked up his game a lot. And up until that point, it was like kind of a, a little bit of a, of a head scratcher because he had some really good years in Toronto, but, uh, he was kind of hitting a little bit of a lull. And then even when he got to New York, he was like, eh, and then he obviously got hurt and didn't play the COVID season. So People hadn't seen him pitch in a while. I was like, all right, like, is Stroman really going to come into this year and kind of be the dog that he's talking himself up to be? And he, so far, he has. Like, he has been everything he said he was going to be. So, him, DeGrom, David Peterson has been great. And they still got that guy, Noah Syndergaard, coming back. So, the Mets are... In pretty good shape. Uh, they started out the season in like the most Mets way possible, blowing a Jacob DeGrom start with their bullpen. So it definitely didn't get off to the best start, but they uh, 
they've been playing pretty well. I think they're playing the the Cubs tonight on ESPN, actually. And the Yankees are playing tonight, too. So I'll probably throw both of those games on. And uh, that's what I'm going to go do now, actually, because we're done here. So that'll do it for another episode of From My Point of View. Thank you all for listening. Uh, season finale of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier on Monday for Marvel Mondays. That'll wrap up that little series I've been doing until the Loki show premieres. So thank you all for listening to this episode from my point of view. Enjoy the rest of your week, and I'll talk to you all on Monday.